Hey, everybody, David G. And I am an alcoholic and an addict of many sorts. And it's so good to see all my buddies here. It's good to see everybody. Thank you so much, Beth, for your service to this group. And thank you, Miss Rhonda, as well. And, and it's there again, as I say, it's so good to see everybody here. We've been kind of studying through the traditions or taking a taking a look at them. I know when we did our how many ever weeks that was through the big book, man, we really went through a solid line by line study. It's been somewhat a little different in this. And, and some people, you know, have made comments about that. Others said, hey, we love the way that it's went. I just know for me that I usually ask spirit to lead anytime that I'm asked to chair, share or do one of these. If I'm not doing that, then really, you know, I'm just kind of doing it on my own own free will. <clears throat> when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous in 1994, one of the things that was rarely talked about was a tradition. The tradition. I think we might have read on Monday nights one that um, that um, every last Monday of the month for at least 15 minutes, we would read about a tradition. So therefore, I really got didn't learn a whole lot about the traditions. I mean, you know, there there were certain things that that we read that made it sound real good. And we'd all try to come up with some idea of how to make that 15 minutes go by pretty quick so that we could get back to the regular meeting. And I think mainly, you know, that cut into our time that we just sat around the table and talked because at that time there was really no in-depth big book study meetings as, as we, as we do them now, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of sharing from experience in those days, you know, we had worked the steps and all, but it was nothing like the big book uh, step study meetings that we attend today. So, in 2019, when I hit an emotional bottom in Alcoholics Anonymous due to lust and sexual acting out, and I came in through the for, through the essay fellowship, I was going through the work with a guy from Iowa. And one of the things when we finished up with the 12 steps, and we read all the way to the very back of page 164, one of the things that he said is, okay, now we're going to go through the traditions. And no one had ever done that with me before. So I didn't really know. I, you know, my mind said, yeah, we already know about that. But in reality, we didn't. So, you know, as we journeyed through the first three tradi uh, traditions, we really seen that that unity and authority, which absolutely did not come from me or from you. If there was to be any unity, there was going to have to be an authority other than me. And we seen that in the first two uh, traditions. And this one, we look at the requirement for AA membership. It says it's a desire to stop drinking. Now, we created a loophole in the Broken Bottle Group here in McAllister some years ago so that the people that were not alcoholics could come into our meetings. And, you know, I mean, we would ask, you know, well, just don't share, but at least you can show up. Well, in a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, that's what it is. It's a closed meetings for alcoholics only. But what we did is we said, just come in and say that, that you have a desire not to drink. And that qualifies you to come into our meetings. So we created a loophole and not a very good one. It seemed very good to me at the time. But the first time that we had a group inventory, and I don't know if any of you are familiar with a group inventory, but there is such a thing called a group inventory. And that's where somebody that is really doing pretty well in his spiritual life and his development of the steps knows the traditions and the concepts, they will come in and they will do what's called a group inventory. And they'll ask a set of questions 
and each member of the group has a minute or two to run around and answer. And at the end, you know, I mean, it's not to say you're a good group or a bad group. It's just to say, here's some areas where you're weak. Well, one of the areas was the traditions. <laughs> and I was kind of offended by that. I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, what's happened is you've created a loophole in tradition three and you're allowing people to come in and it's a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. You should not do that. And I said, I by no way broke the tradition. And he said, oh, but you have. And I said, well, how do you figure that? <clears throat> he said, you're, at, you're telling people to come in and say that they have a desire to stop or to not drink. And I said, well, that's what the tradition says. He says, no, that is not what the tradition says. The tradition says that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop. And if you've never drank, how are you going to stop drinking? And it would be the same way with any other addiction. And so what I'd done is I'd twisted the words around like I'd done so many times and other things. That didn't work out very well. But I tell you, there's something very interesting about this tradition, and it's found in the long form. And I tell you, I was asked to speak at a conference in Kansas for SA in purpose in person a few years ago. And one of the guys that I sponsored was going to bring his wife. Now, she wasn't a member of SNR, she didn't claim to be a member. <laughs> So therefore, they told her she couldn't attend. Well, according to what at least I know about the traditions today, that was absolutely wrong. And so I brought that to their attention because he wasn't going to come. And I said, he absolutely can come because his wife. And they said, well, the way that this is listed, it is for SNON members and SA members. So therefore, her not saying that she is, she's not allowed to come. But if you go to the long form of the 12 traditions on page 189 and you look at number three and you look at that very first sentence right there. It says our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. It doesn't say anything about those that drink or those that have a sex problem or those that battle with food. It says all who suffer. Now, I can promise you that woman suffered from his sexaholism. I can promise you my wife has suffered from mine. She has suffered from my alcoholism. So the membership ought to include all, not just alcoholics, not just sex addicts, all who suffer from alcoholism. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover. Now, later on, this woman did become, and, you know, they did see that, and they agreed with that, and they went ahead and let her come, and it turned out to be a really good conference, and she ended up becoming a member. She met somebody there that was in SNON, and they helped her to find a solution to her problem which is self, you know? And so, you know, whenever I look at tradition three, I always want to remember that because you don't have to drink alcohol to suffer from alcoholism. You don't have to be a sex addict to suffer from lust of someone else. You just don't. And so I think it's very important that, that we do that. But at the same time, I don't think that we should create a loophole for people to come into a closed meeting. There's plenty of open meetings that, that, that we can all go to or send somebody to today. We don't have to put them into a closed meeting and, you know, create a loophole in the traditions. And that's exactly what I've done. So I'm grateful for that, man. I wasn't at the time. But let's look at what the book says on page 139. This tradition is packed with meaning. 
Now, anything that is meaningful in Alcoholics Anonymous to me, especially if it's packed with meaning, then this probably already got my attention. And it's telling me right here in the very beginning, this tradition has that. For AA is really saying to every serious drinker, you're a member if you say so. And I think that we need to look at that for a minute and talk about that for just a second. We're not talking about being a member of any particular group. Now, Tradition 4, which we will look at next time, talks about autonomy and autonomous. And what that means is the group has the right to do what they want to do, provided that they don't harm any other fellowship as a result of that. So this isn't saying that I'm a member of any group that I decide to go to just because I think that, okay, AA says that I'm a member. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, not any one particular group. And it took me a little while to understand that. But I went into a meeting and I said, I like this group. I think I'm going to be a part of it. And they said, well, that, well, I think you might ought to talk to us before you do that. And I said, no, I'm a member of AA. And they said, yes, but you're not a member of this group. And, you know, and not that we want to keep you out by any means, but you can't just come in here and say, yeah, this is what I want to do. And now I'm going to do it. I think us alcoholics have been doing that for a long time, bullying and having our way. And so when you got groups that are healthy, they're going to they're going to read through this literature and pick through this stuff and they're going to see. But here's a, a list of questions that we should ask ourselves about anybody that comes into our meetings and take it, you know. It says you can declare yourself in. Nobody can keep you out. I mean, nobody can run me off from that particular meeting, you know, unless my my behavior is bad. And then, I, you know, I need to be asked to leave until I'm willing to come back under different conditions and a better personality. No matter who you are, no matter how low you've gone, no matter how grave your emotional complications, even your crimes, we still cannot deny you AA. We don't want to keep you out. That should be a question. Is there somebody in my group that's causing a lot of trouble that I would really rather see go? It says we aren't a bit afraid that you'll harm us. That should be a question. You know, am I afraid of that in certain groups? Maybe not so much on Zoom, you know, but when you get into in-person meetings, then you begin to find a lot of a lot of characters in there. Most of us already know about that. So it says, never mind how twisted or violent you may be. We just want to be sure that you get the same chance for sobriety that we've had. So you're an AA member the minute you declare yourself, and you absolutely are. But there again, that does not mean that you're a member of any particular group. So we established this principle of membership, took years of harrowing experience. In our early time, nothing seemed so fragile, so easily breakable as an AA group. Why would that be? Well, we come in as broken people. Ego tries to keep us afloat for a little bit, but we're in a pretty humble state of mind. So it's easily to be it's easy to be swayed, especially by somebody who can talk fast and think fast and, and do stuff like that. The book says hardly an alcoholic we approached paid any attention. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I definitely can. Most of those who did join were like flickering candles in a windstorm. Time after time, their uncertain flames blew out and couldn't be relighted. Our unspoken constant thought was, which one of us are going to be next? So a member gives a vivid glimpse of those days. At one time, he says, every AA group had membership rules. Now, think about this, what we're fixing to look at here. And think about the rules in your group. If you come into our group, and we've got 60 or 70 rules that you got to abide by or else you can't be here. 
you're probably not going to be wanting to stay at that group. You're probably going to be like it talked about up there, flickering candles in a windstorm. I know if I would have came in and they told me, David, you got to dress a certain way. You got to be a certain way. You got to do this. You got to do that. I mean, of course, you want to come in and, and, and maintain some form of healthy pride. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, I can remember one time there was an event. There was a picnic or something that we were having in person and there was no kids allowed to that. Now, that was a group decision. That was absolutely OK. But not with me. Oh, I wanted to raise hell about that. This is a family illness and everybody deserves to be there. And this is why they ought to be there. My kids don't do that. You know, I mean, I didn't need to go into any of that. The only thing I need to do was go along <laughs> with the group conscience and, and what they had decided. They had had some troubles. People, they had had a picnic in the past. There had been some kids got loose in the park, threw a bunch of rocks, knocked the windshield out of cars. I mean, why the hell would you want them to come back? But see, I didn't know any of that. And what I don't know is sometimes my downfall. <clears throat> so the, um, thank you. So it says the member gives us a vivid glimpse of those days. At one time, he says, every AA group had many membership rules. Everybody was scared witless that something or someone would capsize the boat and dump us all back into the drink. So the foundation office asked each group to send in a list of protective regulations. Now look at this. The total list was mile long. If all those rules had been in effect everywhere, nobody could have possibly joined. And that's what we want to be careful with in our groups today. One of the things I do when I go to a new town and I go to an in-person meeting, I look at their board. I want to see how many open meetings they got. I want to see how many closed meetings they got. And if their open meetings outweigh their closed meetings, that tells me it's probably a good bullshit session somewhere or another. We're going to share a whole lot, you know. But if you got a closed group that, that, that is looking, that's what I love so much about Big Book Step Study. There is a process that you have to have been through in order to even share at those meetings. And so that's why, for me, that, that, is, that has been a big part of my recovery. So it says there was a lot of anxiety and fear you can only imagine. We were resolved to have been nobody to AA. But that hypothetical class of people who were termed pure alcoholics, I don't know if there's any on here, except for their guzzling and their unfortunate results thereof. They had no other uh, complications. So beggars, tramps, asylums, inmate, prisoners, queers, plain crackpots, and fallen women are definitely out. How many of us on this meeting could have attended a meeting like that? <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, I mean, every one of us has these kind of things. Yes, sir, we'd cater only to pure and respectable alcoholics and any others would surely destroy us. There's a lot of fear in that statement right there. When I read behind the lines of that, I see a lot of fear in those members. Besides, it took in, you know, if we took in one of the odd ones, what would the decent people say about us? Well, that gets into what other people say about me. I can remember my sponsor telling me early on, David, it don't really matter what people think of you. What matters is what you think of other people. It's your thinking that needs to get right, not theirs. So it really doesn't matter what other people would be saying about me. But look at what it says. We built a fine mesh fence around Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think any time that we're doing that, we're doing that based out of fear. We're not doing that on, based on spirit. Self is what's running the group. And as we know, self is the downfall. That is the problem of all problems. 
Maybe it sounds critical. Maybe you think old timers were pretty intolerant, but I can tell you that there was nothing funny about that situation then. There was an old, a bunch of old timers that had a group not too far from here, about 20 miles from here in a little town called Eufaula, Oklahoma. Some of my Oklahoma friends on here will know where I'm talking about. And these old timers were good old men. They, they were just good men. And they, they knew about Alcoholics Anonymous. And man, they came there to stay sober more. So they came there for the fellowship of each other. Well, all of a sudden, you had a bunch of new people start to come in. And they said, you know what? AA says, I'm a member when I say I'm a member. And I say I'm a member. And so they started bringing other people. And they said, they're a member and they're a member. Pretty soon, they got these old guys outvoted. And what they do is they vote to change the meeting. They vote to do this. They vote to change the time. They they want to take uh, AA out of one of them, put AA in or NAN. They want to do this, do that. And pretty soon, close the whole group down. Well, when we opened the Broken Ball Group in McAllister, we looked at their experience and we said, how are we going to change that? How are we going to make that not happen to us? So one of the things as a group, and remember that we are protected by Tradition 4, one of the things that we did is you had to be an active member of that group for at least nine months to even have a vote in our group conscience. And if you didn't have that active membership for nine months, you didn't vote. You could come and sit and listen all you want, but when it comes time to raise the hands, you, you couldn't raise your hand. And people say, well, that's too many rules. That's what it's talking about up here. No, that's protecting our fellowship. That's exactly what it was doing because we wasn't going to allow anyone to come in and do to us what had been done to them. And so another thing was, you know, you had to have so many months in order to be able to chair one of our meetings. You had to have been through that part of the book. We weren't going to put you in a chair seat. And you're over here reading about step six when you ain't even made it through step two yet. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense just because you need a warm body in the chair. And as I look at that now, when I look at that third paragraph on page 140, it says maybe this sounds comical now. And maybe you think the old timers were pretty intolerant, but I can tell you there was nothing funny about the situation then. And when those old guys showed up to our group, they said, you know, we want to be here, but we're scared to death. The same thing is going to happen over here. Well, I've had a lot of men that have been able to school me in these traditions over the years, and they are the ones who told me this is the way you do it. You put this in the bylaws of the group, and then you don't ever have to worry about a group of conscience outvoting you because the bylaw is the way it is. There is no group vote. So the people that were there on those first couple of meetings, those bylaws were set into place, and they were never able to be. Uh, and trust me, a lot of people came and wanted to do it, but they just couldn't. So the book says we were grim because we felt our lives and homes were being threatened and that was no laughing matter. Intolerant, you say? Well, we were frightened. Naturally, we begin to act like most everybody does when they're afraid. And here's what that is. After all, isn't fear the true basis of intolerance? Yes, we were intolerant. So anytime that I see intolerance, I need to look at what's behind it. Fear. What drives fear? What's fear driving? Self. Selfish self-centeredness that we think is the root of our trouble, not booze, not sex, not lust, not gambling. Self, self-centeredness. And it's always driven by fear. And so that's how all the rest of this is. Isn't it funny how whenever we're in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and we're reading in the fears, it says the fabric of our existence was shot through with it. I never knew what that meant. But if you look at the third column on page 65 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and you look at fear, you look at pride, 
you look at self-esteem, you look at ambition, security, you look at all that stuff and you look what's bracketed alongside it. What's driving that stuff is fear. It's always fear. And fear is the number one soldier of self. So he says, how could we then guess that all those fears were to prove groundless? Isn't that how most of our fears have been when we really get through the inventory? <clears throat> how could we know that thousands of these sometimes frightening people would make astonishing recoveries and become our greatest workers and our intimate friends? Man, that's a powerful statement. Well, have you ever had somebody show up to your group and just drive you batshit crazy? I mean, you just think, my God, when's this guy going to get drunk? When's he going to leave? What I need to do to run him off? I mean, it, it's just on and on and on. Well, this was no different in those days. Um, there was a man who showed up who'd done this very thing back then, and it drove him crazy. And they just really didn't know what to do. Look at page 141, and let's look at what well, I guess that'd be the first full paragraph. He said, why did AA finally drop all its membership regulations? Now, it had all these regulations for all these years. Now, all of a sudden, they're dropping it. Why? Why did it leave each newcomer to decide for himself whether he was an alcoholic and whether he should join us? Why did we dare say, contrary to the experience of society and government everywhere, that we would neither punish nor deprive any AA of membership, that we must never compel anyone to pay anything, believe anything, or conform to anything? That's the reason I'm still here today. I think most of our beliefs do straighten out and we begin to, you know, get over the hump with that. But in the beginning, we're pretty wild in our beliefs, or at least I was. But look at where it says the answer to this is. It's in Tradition 3. It was simplicity itself. The last experience taught us that to take away the alcoholic's full chance was sometime to pronounce his death sentence. And I heard a guy say to me in a meeting one time, he said, if you deny an alcoholic or an addict the right to suffer, you're going to deny him the right to recover. How many times do we want to grab up the new person in our arms and hold him and tell him everything's going to be okay, just do this and everything's going to be all right? That, that wasn't how it was with me when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. They told me, you have a damn good reason to be afraid. <laughs> and you better pay close attention to it, because if you don't, chances are you're not going to make it here. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, you know, the things that I see today. So bottom of 141. A newcomer appears at one of these groups and he knocks on the door and he has to be let in. He talked, frankly, with that group's oldest member. Soon proved that he was a desperate case. He was most definitely an alcoholic. But this is going to be one of the first times that the book, the, the 12 and 12, begins to mention the addiction, another addiction of a member. So it says he soon proved he was a desperate case. And above all, he wanted to get well. I think that's the biggest question we ask anybody that comes here. Do you want to get well? Are you willing to go to any lengths to do what we do here? But he asked, will you let me join your group since I am the victim of another addiction, even worse stigmatized than alcoholism? You may not want me among you, or will you? Now, for years, I thought this was talking about drug addiction until I read the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. And today I see that this man was a cross-dresser. And see, nobody knew anything about that at that time. And those that did were scared to death of him. 
And so he was honest in saying that he was a victim of another addiction. But what the hell are you going to do about something like that today? We're going to say, come on in, no problem. But in those days, that was something that was unheard of. Look at what it says. Look at the story. There was the dilemma. What should the group do? The oldest member summoned the other two. That sounds like a group conscience. And in confidence, laid the explosive facts in their lap, said he. Well, what about it? If we turn this man away, he'll soon die. There's a little bit of sanity. But if we allow him in, only God knows what trouble he'll brew. What should be the answer, yes or no? At first, the elders could only look at the objections. That's what self likes to do. It likes to look at all the objections, you know. We deal, they said, with alcoholics only. Should we sacrifice this one for the sake of many? <clears throat> so went the discussion while the newcomer's fate hung in balance. Then one of the three spoke in a very different voice. Notice how the spirit will always show up. Always. And it showed up here. So went the discussion while, you know, da, da, da. well, what are we really afraid of? He said, is it our reputation? Are we much more afraid of what people may say than the trouble that this strange alcoholic may bring? As we've been talking, five short words have been running through my mind. Something keeps repeating to me. What would the master do? Now, you hear this a lot in this tradition. Everybody will keep going back to this. What would the master do? What would the master do? I'd hear people in AA and closed AA meetings talk about drugs and them old timers that come down on them hard with a whip, you know, and I can remember kind of being in that crowd. And then we'd say, you know, what would the master do? Well, you know, this, this, but I think there's a more important something that we need to look at here than what would the master do? Of course, that's important, very important. But look at what it says. Not another word was said. More indeed, what more could be said? So overjoyed, the newcomer plunged into 12-step work. Tirelessly, he laid AA's message before scores of people. This man is helping more people than probably any of them. And since this was a very early group, those scores have since multiplied themselves into thousands. I think this is the most important sentence in all of this story right here. Never did he trouble anyone with his other difficulty. And I think when we come into a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous or Sexaholics Anonymous or whatever it may be, if I bring any kind of other difficulty to the table, then I think I've taken away from the spirit of that meeting when it comes to a closed meeting. Now, I understand today the difference between an open and a closed. But there's men that I'm looking at on this camera right here right now that I have absolute confidence in with telling anything that, that would be going on with me. And if I'm going to trouble anyone, it's not going to be in that meeting. I'm probably going to call one of these men to the side and say, hey, this is what's happening. So I think more importantly is that he never did trouble anyone with that other difficulty. He kept it to alcoholism. And look at what it says. They had taken its first step in the formation of step three, because his only requirement was a desire to stop drinking. I mean, I stop him. What else he done? There's many other fellowships for us like that. Today, when I asked to speak from the podium, <clears throat> and I get opportunity to do that quite a bit, I try to go in a general way of what happened to me in 2019 and beyond. I don't 
fall into all of that. I'm not going to talk about all that stuff. But in a general way, I'm going to let let be known what happened to me because that's my story. And for so long in the last few years, and I know many of you have heard me say, you know, we don't want to hear no story. I was reading with a man in the doctor's opinion today, and it was talking about Bill W. And it said later he requested the privilege of telling his story. Out of all the damn years that I've been reading that particular part of the book and breaking it down and helping people understand it, why the hell did I never see that that's not a privilege? <laughs> I just did not see that. It's a privilege for us to get to tell our story in a general way. I don't think we come to the podium and vomit everything out that's going on in our life or our secret life or any of that. But I do think that it's very important that we do. <clears throat> so that was the first example that Bill gives. And although I like that pretty well, I probably like this one even better. There's another guy that's going to show up here. And then for top of 143, he says, not long after the man with the double stigma knocked for admission, AA's other group received into its membership a salesman we shall call Ed. Man, I love this guy. God, this guy is me through and through. A power driver, this one. And brash as any salesman could possibly be. He had at least an idea a minute on how to improve AA. Shit, that's been me all along until the last few years anyway. He said these ideas he sold to fellow members with the same burning enthusiasm with which he dis, uh, disturbed automobile polish or distributed. <laughs> but he had one idea that wasn't so sellable. And I love this. Ed was an atheist. His pet obsession was that AA could get along better without its God nonsense. I can remember when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I thought, I wonder how in the hell they do this, how they stay sober. And the more that I got closer to the place that I was going in this particular time, I'd been to about eight different ones. But this particular time, it kind of dawned on me. They're going to be talking about God. Oh, hell. And so I didn't like this God nonsense any more than Ed did right here. But look at what he did. He browbeat everybody and everybody expected him to soon get drunk. Of course, a God would punish a man like that and get him drunk, right? That's what my old beliefs would have thought. But no, man, today I don't serve a God like that. Thank God he didn't either. Or at, at the time, you see, AA was on the pious side. There must be a heavy penalty. It was thought, keywords, for blasphemy. Distressingly enough, Ed proceeded to stay sober. And nothing make you make you matter than that. The guy comes in, raises all that kind of hell, goes against every tradition, every principle we have, and he still stays sober. And then one day he wakes up and gets the program. It's like, man, he becomes the best member we have. That's exactly what's going to happen here. At length, the time came for him to speak in a meeting. We shivered, <laughs> for we knew what was coming. He paid a fine tribute to the fellowship and he told how his family had been reunited and he exalted the virtue of honesty. And he recalled the joys of the 12 step work. And then he lowered the boom. Uh huh. Cried Ed. I can't stand this God stuff. They knew it was coming too. Here it is. It's a lot of malarkey for weak folks. And this group doesn't need it. And I won't have it. The hell with it. 
A great wave of outrage, resentment engulfed the meeting, sweeping every member on every single resolve. Out he goes. <laughs> so I can remember I'd said a cuss word at a meeting one time, and I try to watch my mouth today. In those days, I was a loose canning, but I, I had said something offensive. <clears throat> and I had a sweet little lady come up to me and, and tell me, son, you know, we don't need that kind of talk around. God wouldn't like that. And I can remember saying to her, I don't think God cares what, which way I talk. He didn't care out there and he doesn't care in here. And I'm just glad you're not him. Now, there's no way in the world I would talk to somebody that way today. And in fact, I was able to make a, a amends to that little lady later on. But I kind of felt like Ed did here to hell with it. I'm not going to have him. Well, the ed elders let him aside. And I think this is in... 2019, this is what should have happened to me. Instead of casting me out for all the lust and sexual acting, I was completely wrong. I'm completely wrong. But instead of saying, leave and don't never come back, what they should have done, the elders should have led me aside and said, hey, look, here's how we do things here. And if you're on board with that, you're welcome to come back here. But if you're not, you're going to have to leave until you change your mind about that. But nobody ever did that to me. A lot of people were intimidated by me and stuff like that. So nobody would do that. But I think this is what they said. Of course, the way these guys come about it is wrong. But he says they, they said firmly, you can't talk like that around here. You'll have to quit or get out. With great sarcasm, Ed came back at him. Now do tell. Is that so? He reached over the bookshelf and took up a sheaf of papers and on the top of them, Laid the forward to the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Then under preparation, he read aloud, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. You're not going to be able to kick me out here. <laughs> There's no way you can do that. I mean, you can ask me to leave and, you know, and if, if I'm out of line, I can be made to leave. But you can't keep me out. I can always come back as long as I have a desire to stop drinking. So relentlessly, Ed went on, when you guys wrote that sentence, did you mean it or didn't? Could you imagine how the most timers felt? The book says, dismayed. The elders looked at one another, for they knew they had him cold. So Ed stayed. Of course he did. Ed not only stayed, he stayed sober. And month after month, the longer he kept dry, the louder he talked against God. And the group was in anguish so deep that all the fraternal charity had vanished. When or when grown the members to another to one another will that guy get drunk and i can only imagine when you have somebody turning your fellowship upside down like that looking at it today i would have been furious at this man but looking at it today i can see where that would bring a stronger growth to the group i'm starting to see that in my personal life with my work now <clears throat> so quite a while later ed got a sales job which took him out of town at the end of a few days the news came in he sent a telegram for money and everybody knew what that meant. Or they thought they did. Then he got on a plane. And in those days, we'd go anywhere to do a 12-step job, no matter how unpromising. But this time, nobody stirred. Leave him alone. Let him try it by himself for once. And maybe he'll learn his lesson. I hate it when people play God and try to teach us lessons, especially ones that can cost our life. And that's exactly what could have happened here. And that's what could have happened to me in 2019. Five About minutes. Thank you. About two weeks later, Ed stole by night in the AA member's house and unknown to the family, went to bed daylight 
found the master of the house and another friend drinking their morning coffee. A noise was heard on the stairs. To their consternation, Ed appeared, quizzical smile on his lips. He said, look how God works here. Have you fellas had your morning meditation? He would have never said something like that. Something's happened to Ed. What's happened? They quickly sensed that he was quite in earnest. In fragments, his story came out. Here's what he says. In a neighboring state, Ed had holed up in a cheap hotel after all his pleas for help had been rebuffed. These words rang in his fevered mind. They have deserted me. <clears throat> I've been deserted by my own kind. This is the end. Nothing is left. And man, I can relate to that story so much because in, you know, 2019, in my darkest hour, I reached for people and <laughs> they just wasn't there. And after you've been a member in pretty good standing and have helped so many people, it's easy for self-pity to come in and say, my God, what's happened to my people? <clears throat> they were gone. I thank God for COVID every day. People say, oh, my God, that's the worst thing that ever happened to the United States, not for me. That came at a time when I wasn't really welcome back in any meeting, not only in my little town, but I'd been a circuit speaker throughout and everybody had heard about this. And so they were all pretty tore up. But look at what Ed said as he tossed on his bed, his hand brushed the, the bureau near by touching a book, opening the book, he read it was a Gideon Bible. Now I've been a member of the Gideon in my day. I know what this is about. Most hotel rooms that you're in, then there's going to be one of these available. Ed never confided anymore about what he saw or felt in that hotel room. He had a spiritual experience that night. I guarantee you did. It was the year of 38, and he hadn't had a drink since. Nowadays, when old-timers who know Ed forgather, they exclaim, what if we'd actually succeeded in throwing Ed out for blasphemy? What would have happened to him and all the others that he has later held? So the hand of providence early gave us the sign that any alcoholic is a member of our society when he says so. This is a powerful tradition. I'm here for two reasons today. One, freedom from alcohol, lust, and drugs. The other is to be relieved of the bondage itself. And if I can achieve at least one of those, that's a real good deal. If I can achieve both of those, then Alcoholics Anonymous, God has done his job through Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been relieved from the bondage itself in so many ways. I've been bonded back in to self many times but we have the tools today to get out of it. and i'm most definitely a member of all the fellowships i attend today because i say i am might not be a member of your group but i guarantee you i'm a member of aa i'm a member of AAA. i'm a member of sa i don't talk about it as much but i am and uh nobody's going to be able to throw me out of there now if my behavior is bad i'll leave today for sure but i know in my heart of hearts that God is bigger than any of this. So, man, I'm so grateful you guys came out and, and let me read and share experience, strength, and hope with you. Really glad to be here tonight. Good to see all of you guys. Thanks. This concludes David's share, but we encourage you to keep listening as he answers questions from the group and shares additional experience, strength, and hope. Thank you, David. Um, really appreciate you sharing on this tradition. Um, I wanted to Kind of had a two-parter question. Um, you mentioned the group, the group inventory at the very beginning, and I was curious, like, who comes in and and does that kind of thing? 
Thanks, Ashley. Um, usually what it is, is we will, as a group, we will vote and usually we know members that, that have had long time sobriety and had a lot of um, experience with the traditions and also in the service work that they do. And so what we would do is we would throw out a name and there were several people in our area and that's what we would do. We, we would just bring them in and there is, uh, there's information that you can download on the group inventory and take a look at what those questions consist of and what that person would do. And, and I don't know how this would work on zoom. I've only done them in person, but that person would come in and they would have someone with them that would time and they would set a timer and they would give you like a minute or so. And they would just throw out a series of questions that, and really, like I say, it's not to say whether you're a, a strong group or a weak group or any of this, it's, about areas where we could improve upon really being of service. <clears throat> and so the group inventory is a very important part of, uh, of the group's health. Um, I uh, definitely would encourage anybody that hasn't, haven't done that to do that because so many times we can get in there and get to thinking that, you know, well, we're doing all this good and that good. And, and that group inventory reveals a lot. I know that I had to really study up quick when I knew them guys were coming because that they were going to reveal some some shit that, that I wasn't telling everybody else so you know it's you know it's just I was still in the bondage of self in those days that will put a stop to it quick you got a guru in the group do a group inventory with somebody who knows what's going on and it will uh it'll definitely it'll definitely enlighten the group so anyway, thanks for your question. Thank you. Um, so is that like something you do during a group conscious or? <clears throat> well, we set aside a day for it or okay. they'd say like a morning, a few hours, and then we provided lunch or we would do lunch and then we'd do that normally the other way around because hell after lunch, you're ready to go lay down or whatever. But, um, it, I think it's very important. I, I don't see any reason why, you know, for a group that couldn't be done on Zoom. It really couldn't. Um, I've also recently um, joined Alanar. My God, how could I have missed that for all these years, you know? I mean, I've attended, but basically it was just so I could go over and tell about everything I know instead of going over and learning what I don't. I want to read something here since we, if we got it, since we got a minute. It's from page 258 in the ODAP book. ODAP means one day at a time. It says, we hear it over and over again in both AA and Al-Anon. This program is spiritual, not religious. Each of us must find our own way to heaven. And the Al-Anon meetings reinforce our faith in the way we choose to worship. Whatever it may be, if our dedicated practice of Al-Anon helps us make a heaven on earth, no religious faith would quarrel with this unhappy outcome. Yet sometimes a member devoted to a particular religion may try to win others over to her faith, virtually convinced that she is only trying to help. This can only lead to confusion and many difficulties and may indeed result in creating a rift in a marriage whose foundation is in the common faith. It is emphasized in our traditions and in much of our literature that A, we're not affiliated with any other organization, B, 
that the tenets of any faith can be applied to the Al-Anon program. Today, I pray for the wisdom not to involve myself in the personal lives and beliefs of others and to help them only by the means of the Al-Anon principles. So I read that to say this. I encourage anyone that wants to do a group inventory with the High Road to a New Freedom group. That's primarily the group that I'm uh, that I'm associated with. I have, uh, you know, in my prayer time, uh, it has come to me over and over that I would really like to become a member of uh, the the Sunday Thursday group. I, you know, I haven't approached anybody about that, but you know, it's um, I don't know. I, I just I just don't think there's any way that we could go wrong by doing that. So I'm really glad you asked me that question. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks so much. I, I get so much out of these uh, tradition uh, workshop uh, sessions. So uh, two quick things. One, I, at some point I wrote these down in, in the book, but I've always found them helpful. And they're not official 12-step, uh, but principles to each of the steps and also to the traditions. And I've found various lists on the internet, but I, so I can pick and choose what I think is, is most valuable. But what I wrote down for this is compassion and acceptance. And it just, for me, those two words really do a lot to capture what we've been talking about, what you've been talking about here. Um, my face-to-face, -face, uh, it's a face-to-face -face A meeting that I've been involved with for about 16, 17 years, ever since I we relocated to where we live now in Georgia. Um, and we have a local, uh, I guess it's state-sponsored, kind of a recovery program that's mainly for young women, women, um, uh, many of whom have children, and they provide a way for them to... Uh, reside there and care for the kids so that they can uh, uh, try to get, get clean and sober. And many of these young women's primary addiction, they might say their uh, choice is drugs of some sort or another. And that's often carried some, uh, some in the group uh, are resistant to them coming, despite you know everything that we've read about here. Now, in their favor, I don't think that uh, one of, I would doubt that almost any of them didn't start out with a drink of alcohol, because I know that alcohol often leads us to, to other, other substances. Um, but regardless of that, they always, when they come, they always conduct themselves, you know, very appropriately. Uh, they, they're so, we are so, I mean, so grateful to have them have their presence there. And finally, I think that uh, we move to a place of, I hope, compassion acceptance by allowing them to participate, that they, that, uh, that one of their desires is, is, um, is uh, to stay sober. And um, so anyway, and now today, and I guess the last part of this, this story, because I really didn't come prepared to share about it, but uh, those few voices that are that were so uh, opposed at one point are now very welcoming and accepting. And so it's kind of like, uh, you know, we've, we've moved past this now and we continue to see these young women, not every week even, we meet six days a week, but uh, they do come on a somewhat regular basis and we're always grateful when they come. That's it. David, did you want to comment or share on that? 
No, I just think that's wonderful. It really is. You know, that's that's the practice of tradition, too, as I see it. There's one ultimate authority. And when you got people come together and make that kind of decision for the better of someone else like these young women, that's great. Uh, that shows the group's, uh, you know, love. So really cool, Doug. Uh, be, that's a good thing to be a part of. Thank you for sharing. And David, thank you. Man, this is so cool. I hope you're planning on doing this with the concepts as well, but that, I leave that to you for talk for another day. But uh, yeah, this is such a beautiful tradition. The only requirement is the desire to stop. Stop, that's all. That's beautiful. I really like a lot of things you had to share. One thing that I would like clarification on, and it may seem petty and it, it probably is, but you said that in that one group that you were in to protect the group using you know, the, the authority of the fourth, tradition you said that you guys said a, that person needs to be a, a member of that group for nine months in order to uh vote in a group conscience i suppose something like that and i was wondering what what would constitute being a member that someone is doing service who shows up at meetings regular did you guys kind of flesh that out or just leave that as a blanket <clears throat> oh thank you jason so good to see you buddy it's been a long time um yeah man an active member is is the way that we deem that. You had to be an active member of the group meant, you know, that you participate in our meetings, you know, when you could be there, unless something like work or family or whatever <clears throat> called you away. You know, be there as a board greeter, be there as someone who made the coffee, who helped pass the coffee, who was willing to read, who was willing to chair at that time, you know, an active member. And that's what we wanted because we really didn't want someone just coming in and saying, okay, I'm a member now and we're going to vote this, this, and this. And one of the old timers that is very schooled in the traditions, that's one thing he told me, he said, son, go at it this way and you'll never have that problem. Because if they're not serious about recovery, nobody's going to hang around for nine months. <laughs> I mean, and I wanted to agree, but he was like, absolutely not. If you want my advice, this is the way that you do it. And you know what? He was right. When I left that group, it was over a hundred members strong, hundred members. It was unbelievable, you know? So yeah, it's, um, it, it's really a good way to conduct the group. That way it keeps a lot of the stuff out because hell we're, we're compulsive. I can come in and tell you a good story and, and convince you why you ought to vote the way that I think that we should. And most people will go for that. That only didn't protect them uh, from the people outside. It protected them from people like me on the inside that that would try to rig up the group conscience in his favor. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I, I I really I really enjoy that question, but that's that's what it was. You had to be an active member, and that's how we deemed it: is that you had to participate in our meetings as a member. You had to call yourself a member. You couldn't be affiliated with any other groups. You could go to all the meetings you want. We're not saying that, but it, but you had one home group and you couldn't wear two hats in other groups. You couldn't be a treasurer in our group, go over and be a JSR in that group. You were in our group. And those were just the things we laid down in the bylaws of the group ever prior to getting started. So we never had any problems with that. So I'm very grateful for the men who shared that with me. It made a tremendous difference. Thank you. <laughs>